0: Chapter 17 Part 2 of Sentimental Education This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Sentimental Education by Gustave Flaubert Chapter 17 A Strange Betrothal Part 2 a messenger was waiting for him at his own house with a line written in lead pencil informing him that rosonette was about to be confined he had been so much preoccupied for the past few days that he had not bestowed a thought upon the matter she had been placed in a special establishment at chaillot frederick took a cab and set out for this institution at the corner of the rue de marbeuf he read on a board in big letters private lying-in hospital kept by madame Alessandri." first-class midwife ex-pupil of the maternity author of various works etc then in the centre of the street over the door a little side door there was another signboard private hospital of madame Alessandri, with all her titles frederick gave a knock a chambermaid with the figure of an abigail introduced him into the reception-room which was adorned with a mahogany table and armchairs of garnet velvet and with a clock under a globe almost immediately madame appeared she was a tall brunette of forty with a slender waist fine eyes and the manners of good society she apprised frederick of the mother's happy delivery and brought him up to her apartment rosanette broke into a smile of unutterable bliss and as if drowned in the floods of love that were suffocating her she said in a low tone a boy there there pointing towards a cradle close to her bed He flung open the curtains, and saw, wrapped up in linen, a yellowish-red object, exceedingly shriveled-looking, which had a bad smell, and which was bawling lustily. Embrace him, he replied in order to hide his repugnance, but I am afraid of hurting him. No, no. Then, with the tips of his lips, he kissed his child. How like you he is! and with her two weak arms she clung to his neck with an outburst of feeling which he had never witnessed on her part before the remembrance of madame Dambreze came back to him he reproached himself as a monster for having deceived this poor creature who loved and suffered with all the sincerity of her nature for several days he remained with her till night she felt happy in this quiet place the window-shutters in front of it remained always closed her room hung with bright chintz looked out on a large garden madame alessandri whose only shortcoming was that she liked to talk about her intimate acquaintanceship with eminent physicians showed her the utmost attention her associates nearly all provincial young ladies were exceedingly bored as they had nobody to come to see them rosanette saw that they regarded her with envy and told this to frederick with pride it was desirable to speak low nevertheless the partitions were thin, and everyone stood listening at hiding-places in spite of the constant thrumming of the pianos. At last, he was about to take his departure for Nogent, when he got a letter from Lauriers. Two fresh candidates had offered themselves, the one a conservative, the other a red. A third, whatever he might be, would have no chance. It was all frederick's fault he had let the lucky moment pass by he should have come sooner and stirred himself you have not even been seen at the agricultural assembly the advocate blamed him for not having any newspaper connection ah if you had followed my advice long ago if we had only a public print of our own he laid special stress on this point however many persons who would have voted for him out of consideration for monsieur d'Ambreuse abandoned him now De Laurier was one of the number not having anything more to expect from the capitalist he had thrown over his protégé frederick took the letter to show it to madame d'embreuze you have not been to Nogent, then said she why do you ask because i saw de Laurier three days ago having learned that her husband was dead the advocate had come to make a report about the coal mines and to offer his services to her as a man of business this seemed strange to Frederick, and what was his friend doing down there madame Nambrez wanted to know how he had spent his time since they had parted i have been ill he replied you ought at least to have told me about it oh it wasn't worth while besides he had to settle a heap of things to keep appointments and to pay visits from that time forth he led a double life "'sleeping religiously at the Maréchal's abode "'and passing the afternoon with Madame d'ambreuse "'so that there was scarcely a single hour of freedom "'left to him in the middle of the day. "'The infant was in the country at Andil. "'They went to see it once a week. "'The wet nurse's house was on rising ground in the village, "'at the end of a little yard as dark as a pit, "'with straw on the ground, hens here and there, "'and a vegetable cart under the shed.' rosanette would begin by frantically kissing her baby and seized with a kind of delirium would keep moving to and fro trying to milk the she-goat eating big pieces of bread and inhaling the odor of manure she even wanted to put a little of it into her handkerchief then they took long walks in the course of which she went into the nurseries tore off branches from the lilac trees which hung down over the walls and exclaimed gee ho donkey to the asses that were drawing cars along and stopped to gaze through the gate into the interior of one of the lovely gardens or else the wet-nurse would take the child and place it under the shade of a walnut-tree and for hours the two women would keep talking the most tiresome nonsense frederick not far away from them gazed at the beds of vines on the slopes with here and there a clump of trees at the dusty paths resembling strips of gray ribbon at the houses which showed white and red spots in the midst of the greenery and sometimes the smoke of a locomotive stretched out horizontally to the bases of the hills covered with foliage like a gigantic ostrich's feather the thin end of which was disappearing from view then his eyes once more rested on his son he imagined the child grown into a young man he would make a companion of him but perhaps he would be a blockhead a wretched creature in any event he was always oppressed by the illegality of the infant's birth It would have been better if he had never been born. And Frederick would murmur, poor child, his heart swelling with feelings of unutterable sadness. They often missed the last train. Then Madame Nambreuse would scold him for his want of punctuality. He would invent some falsehood. It was necessary to invent some explanations, too, to satisfy Rosanette. She could not understand how he spent all his evenings. And when she sent a messenger to his house, he was never there. One day, when he chanced to be at home, the two women made their appearance almost at the same time. He got the marechal to go away and concealed Madame Ambreuse, pretending that his mother was coming up to Paris. Ere long he found these lies amusing. He would repeat to one the oath which he had just uttered to the other, send them bouquets of the same sort, write to them at the same time, and then would institute a comparison between them. There was a third always present in his thoughts the impossibility of possessing her, seemed to him a justification of his perfidies, which were intensified by the fact that he had to practice them alternately, and the more he deceived, no matter which of the two, the fonder of him she grew, as if the love of one of them added heat to that of the other, and as if by a sort of emulation, each of them were seeking to make him forget the other. Admire my confidence in you, said Madame d'Ambreuse one day to him, opening a sheet of paper in which she was informed that Monsieur Moreau and a certain Rose Brun were living together as husband and wife. Can it be that this is the Lady of the Races? What an absurdity! He returned, let me have a look at it. The letter, written in Roman characters, had no signature. Madame d'Ambreuse, in the beginning, had tolerated this mistress, who furnished a cloak for their adultery. But, as her passion became stronger... She had insisted on a rupture, a thing which had been effected long since, according to Frederick's account. And when he had ceased to protest, she replied, half closing her eyes, in which shone a look like the point of a stiletto under a muslin robe, Well, and the other? What other? The earthenware dealer's wife. He shrugged his shoulders disdainfully. She did not press the matter. But a month later, while they were talking about honour and loyalty, and he was boasting about his own, in a casual sort of way for the sake of precaution she said to him it is true you are acting uprightly you don't go back there any more frederick who at the moment thinking of the marechal stammered where pray to madame arnoux he implored her to tell him from whom she got the information it was through her second dressmaker madame Regimbard. so she knew all about his life "'and he knew nothing about hers. "'In the meantime, he had found in her dressing-room "'the miniature of a gentleman with long moustaches. "'Was this the same person about whose suicide a vague story "'had been told him at one time? "'But there was no way of learning any more about it. "'However, what was the use of it? "'The hearts of women are like little pieces of furniture "'wherein things are secreted, full of drawers fitted into each other. "'One hurts himself, breaks his nails in opening them. "'and then finds within only some withered flower, "'a few grains of dust or emptiness. "'And then, perhaps, he felt afraid "'of learning too much about the matter. "'She made him refuse invitations "'where she was unable to accompany him, "'stuck to his side, was afraid of losing him, "'and, in spite of this union, "'which was every day becoming stronger, "'all of a sudden, "'abysses disclosed themselves between the pair "'about the most trifling questions, "'an estimate of an individual.' or a work of art. She had a style of playing on the piano which was correct and hard. Her spiritualism, Madame Lambrose believed in the transmigration of souls into the stars, did not prevent her from taking the utmost care of her cash-box. She was haughty towards her servants, her eyes remained dry at the sight of the rags of the poor. In expressions of which she habitually made use, a candid egoism manifested itself. What concern is that of mine, I should be very silly. What need have I? And a thousand little acts incapable of analysis revealed hateful qualities in her. She would have listened behind doors. She could not help lying to her confessor. Through a spirit of despotism, she insisted on Frederick going to the church with her on Sunday. He obeyed and carried her prayer book. The loss of the property she had expected to inherit had changed her considerably. These marks of grief, which people attributed to the death of Monsieur d'Ambreise, rendered her interesting, and, as in former times, she had a great number of visitors. Since Frederick's defeat at the election, she was ambitious of obtaining for both of them an embassy in Germany. Therefore, the first thing they should do was submit to the reigning ideas. Some persons were in favour of the Empire, others of the Orleans family, and others of the Comte de Chambord. But they were all of one opinion as to the urgency of decentralization and several expedients were proposed with that view such as to cut up paris into many large streets in order to establish villages there to transfer the seat of government to versailles to have the schools set up at bourges to suppress the libraries and to entrust everything to the generals of division and they glorified a rustic existence on the assumption that the uneducated man had naturally more sense than other men hatreds increased hatred of primary teachers and wine merchants of the classes of philosophy of the courses of lectures on history of novels red waistcoats long beards of independence in any shape or any manifestation of individuality for it was necessary to restore the principle of authority let it be exercised in the name of no matter whom let it come from no matter where as long as it was force authority the conservatives now talked in the very same way as senecal frederick was no longer able to understand their drift and once more he found at the house of his former mistress the same remarks uttered by the same men the salons of the unmarried women it was from this period that their important dates were a sort of neutral ground where reactionaries of different kinds met hussonnet who gave himself up to the depreciation of contemporary glories a good thing for the restoration of order Inspired Rosanette with a longing to have evening parties like any other. He undertook to publish accounts of them, and, first of all, he brought a man of grave deportment, Fumichon. Then came Nonancourt, Monsieur de Cremonville, the Sieur de l'Arcillois, ex-prefect, and Sissy, who was now an agriculturist in Lower Brittany and more Christian than ever. In addition, men who had at one time been the marechal's lovers, such as the Baron de Comaigne the comte de jumillac and others presented themselves and frederick was annoyed by their free and easy behaviour in order that he might assume the attitude of master in the house he increased the rate of expenditure there then he went in for keeping a groom took a new habitation got a fresh supply of furniture these displays of extravagance were useful for the purpose of making his alliance appear less out of proportion with his pecuniary position The result was that his means were soon terribly reduced, and Rosanette was entirely ignorant of the fact. One of the lower middle class, who had lost caste, she adored domestic life, a quiet little home. However, it gave her pleasure to have an at-home day. In referring to persons of her own class, she called them those women. She wished to be a society lady, and believed herself to be one. She begged of him not to smoke in the drawing-room any more, and, for the sake of good form, tried to make herself look thin. She played her part badly, after all, for she grew serious, and even before going to bed always exhibited a little melancholy, just as there are cypress trees at the door of a tavern. He found out the cause of it. She was dreaming of marriage. She, too. Frederick was exasperated at this. Besides, he recalled to mind her appearance at Madame Arnoux's house, and then he cherished a certain spite against her for having held out against him so long he made inquiries none the less as to who her lovers had been she denied having had any relations with any of the persons he mentioned a sort of jealous feeling took possession of him he irritated her by asking questions about presents that had been made to her and were still being made to her and, in proportion to the exciting effect which the lower portion of her nature produced upon him, he was drawn towards her by momentary illusions which ended in hate. Her words, her voice, her smile, all had an unpleasant effect on him, and especially her glances with that woman's eye forever limpid and foolish. Sometimes he felt so tired of her that he would have seen her die without being moved at it. But how could he get into a passion with her? She was so mild, that there was no hope of picking a quarrel with her. Des Lauriers reappeared, and explained his sojourn at Nogent, by saying that he was making arrangements to buy a lawyer's office. Frederick was glad to see him again, it was somebody, and as a third person in the house, he helped to break the monotony. The advocate dined with them from time to time, and whenever any little disputes arose, always took Rosanette's part so that Frederick on one occasion said to him, Ah, you can have with her if it amuses you. So much did he long for some chance of getting rid of her. About the middle of the month of June, she was served with an order made by the law courts, by which Maître Athanase Gauterot, sheriff's officer, called on her to pay him four thousand francs due to Mademoiselle Clamence Vatnas. If not, he would come to make a seizure on her. In fact, of the four bills which she had at various times signed, only one had been paid— the money which she happened to get since then having been spent on other things that she required she rushed off at once to see arnoux he now lived in the faubourg saint germain and the porter was unable to tell her the name of the street she made her way next to the houses of several friends of hers could not find one of them at home and came back in a state of utter despair she did not wish to tell frederick anything about it fearing lest this new occurrence might prejudice the chance of a marriage between them On the following morning, Monsieur Athanas Gautereau presented himself with two assistants close behind him, one of them sallow with a mean-looking face and an expression of devouring envy in his glance, the other wearing a collar and straps drawn very tightly with a sort of thimble of black taffeta on his index finger, and both ignobly dirty, with greasy necks and the sleeves of their coats too short. Their employer, a very good-looking man, on the contrary, began by apologizing for the disagreeable duty he had to perform, while at the same time he threw a look around the room. "'Full of pretty things, upon my word of honor,' he added. "'Not to speak of the things that can't be seized.' At a gesture, the two bailiffs' men disappeared. Then he became twice as polite as before. "'Could anyone believe that a lady so charming would not have a genuine friend?' A sale of her goods under an order of the courts would be a real misfortune. One never gets over a thing like that. He tried to excite her fears. Then, seeing that she was very much agitated, suddenly assumed a paternal tone. He knew the world. He had been brought into business relations with all these ladies, and, as he mentioned their names, he examined the frames of the pictures on the walls. They were old pictures of the worthy Arnoux, sketches by Sombari. Watercolours by Bouguereau and three landscapes by Ditmer. It was evident that Rosanette was ignorant of their value. Maître Gaudreau turned round to her. Look here, to show that I am a decent fellow, do one thing: give me up those Ditmers here, and I am ready to pay all. Do you agree? At that moment, Frederick, who had been informed about the matter by Delphine in the anteroom, and who had just seen the two assistants, came in with his hat on his head in a rude fashion matre gautero resumed his dignity and as the door had been left open come on gentlemen right down in the second room let us say an oak table with its two leaves two sideboards frederick here stopped him asking whether there was not some way of preventing the seizure oh certainly who paid for the furniture i did well draw up a claim you still have time to do it Maître Gauterot did not take long in writing out his official report, wherein he directed that Mademoiselle Brun should attend at an inquiry in chambers with reference to the ownership of the furniture, and having done this, he withdrew. Frederick uttered no reproach. He gazed at the traces of mud left on the floor by the bailiff's shoes, and, speaking to himself, it will soon be necessary to look about for money. Ah, my God, how stupid I am, said the marechal she ransacked a drawer took out a letter and made her way rapidly to the longedoc gas-lighting company in order to get the transfer of her shares she came back an hour later the interest in the shares had been sold to another the clerk had said in answer to her demand while examining the sheet of paper containing arnoux's written promise to her this document in no way constitutes you the proprietor of the shares the company has no cognizance of the matter in short He sent her away unceremoniously, while she choked with rage. And Frederick would have to go to Arnoux's house at once to have the matter cleared up. But Arnoux would perhaps imagine that he had come to recover in an indirect fashion the 15,000 francs due on the mortgage which he had lost. And then this claim, from a man who had been his mistress's lover, seemed to him a piece of baseness. Selecting a middle course, he went to the D'Ambrose mansion to get Madame Regimbaud's address. Sent a messenger to her residence, and in this way ascertained the name of the cafe which the citizen now haunted. It was the little cafe on the Place de la Bastille, in which he sat all day in the corner to the right at the lower end of the establishment, never moving any more than if he were a portion of the building. After having gone successively through the half cup of coffee, the glass of grog, the bishop, the glass of mulled wine, and even the red wine and water, he fell back on beer and every half-hour he let fall this word, bock, having reduced his language to what was actually indispensable. Frederick asked him if he saw Arnaud occasionally. No. Look here, why? An imbecile. Politics, perhaps, kept them apart, and so Frederick thought it a judicious thing to inquire about Compin. What a brute, said Regimba. How is that? His calf's head. Huh? Explain to me what the calf's head is. Reginbar's face wore a contemptuous smile. Some tomfoolery. After a long interval of silence, Frederick went on to ask so then he has changed his address? Who? Arnoux Yes. Rue de Fleurs What number? Do I associate with the Jesuits? What? Jesuits? The citizen replied angrily. With the money of a patriot whom I introduced to him, this pig has set up a dealer in beads. It isn't possible. Go there. See for yourself. It was perfectly true. Arnaud, enfeebled by a fit of sickness, had turned religious. Besides, he had always had a stock of religion in his composition and with that mixture of commercialism and ingenuity which was natural to him in order to gain salvation and fortune both together he had begun to traffic in religious objects frederick had no difficulty in discovering his establishment on whose signboard appeared these words emporium of gothic art restoration of articles used in ecclesiastical ceremonies church ornaments polychromatic sculpture frankincense of the magi kings etc etc at the two corners of the shop window rose two wooden statues streaked with gold cinnabar and azure a st john the baptist with his sheepskin and a st Genevieve with roses in her apron and a distaff under her arm next groups in plaster a good sister teaching a little girl a mother on her knees beside a little bed and three collegians before the holy table the prettiest object there was a kind of chalet representing the interior of a crib with the ass the ox and the child jesus stretched on straw real straw from the top to the bottom of the shelves could be seen medals by the dozen, every sort of beads, holy water basins in the form of shells, and portraits of ecclesiastical dignitaries, amongst whom Monsignor Afre and our Holy Father shone forth with smiles on their faces. Arnoux sat asleep at his counter with his head down. He had aged terribly. He had even round his temples a wreath of rosebuds, and the reflection of the gold crosses touched by the rays of the sun fell over him. Frederick was filled with sadness at this spectacle of decay. Through devotion to the marechal, he, however, submitted to the ordeal, and stepped forward. At the end of the shop, Madame Arnoux showed herself. Thereupon, he turned on his heel. I couldn't see him, he said when he came back to Rosanette, and in vain he went on to promise that he would write at once to his notary at Havre for some money. She flew into a rage. She had never seen a man so weak, so flabby. While she was enduring a thousand privations, other people were enjoying themselves. Frederick was thinking about poor Madame Arnoux, and picturing to himself the heart-rending impoverishment of her surroundings. He had seated himself before the writing-desk, and, as Rodonet's voice still kept up its bitter railing, "'Ah, in the name of heaven, hold your tongue!' "'Perhaps you are going to defend them,' Well, yes, he exclaimed, for what's the cause of this display of fury? But why is it that you don't want to make them pay up? Tis for fear of vexing your old flame. Confess it. He felt an inclination to smash her head with the timepiece. Words failed him. He relapsed into silence. Rosenette, as she walked up and down the room, continued. I am going to hurl a writ at this arnoux of yours. Oh, I don't want your assistance, but I'll get legal advice. Three days later. Delphine rushed abruptly into the room where her mistress sat. Madame, Madame, there's a man here with a pot of paste who has given me a fright. Rosanette made her way down to the kitchen and saw there a vagabond whose face was pitted with smallpox. Moreover, one of his arms was paralyzed, and he was three fourths drunk and hiccuped every time he attempted to speak. This was Maître Gauthierot's bill sticker. The objections raised against the seizure having been overruled, the sale followed as a matter of course. For his trouble in getting up the stairs, he demanded, in the first place, a half-glass of brandy. Then he wanted another favour, namely, tickets for the theatre, on the assumption that the lady of the house was an actress. After this, he indulged for some minutes in winks, whose import was perfectly incomprehensible. Finally, he declared that for forty sous, he would tear off the corners of the poster, which he had already affixed to the door below stairs. Rosanette found herself referred to by name in it a piece of exceptional harshness which showed the spite of the vatnaz she had at one time exhibited sensibility and had even while suffering from the effects of a heartache written to beranger for his advice but under the ravages of life-storms her spirit had become soured for she had been forced in turn to give lessons on the piano to act as manageress of a table d'hote to assist others in writing for the fashion journals to sublet apartments and to traffic in lace in the world of light women, her relations with whom enabled her to make herself useful to many persons, and amongst others to Arnoux. She had formerly been employed in a commercial establishment. There it was one of her functions to pay the workwomen, and for each of them there were two livres, one of which always remained in her hands. Dussardier, who through kindness kept the amount payable to a girl named Hortense Bazelin, presented himself one day at the cash office at the moment when mademoiselle vatnaz was presenting this girl's account one thousand six hundred and eighty-two francs which the cashier paid her now on the very day before this du had entered down the sum as one thousand and eighty-two in the girl baslin's book he asked to have it given back to him on some pretext then anxious to bury out of sight the story of this theft he stated that he had lost it The workwoman ingenuously repeated this falsehood to Mademoiselle Vatnaz, and the latter, in order to satisfy her mind about the matter, came with a show of indifference to talk to the shopman on the subject. He contented himself with the answer. I have burned it. That was all. A little while afterwards, she quitted the house, without believing that the book had been really destroyed, and filled with the idea that Dussardier had preserved it on hearing that he had been wounded she rushed to his abode with the object of getting it back then having discovered nothing in spite of the closest searches she was seized with respect and presently with love for this youth so loyal so gentle so heroic and so strong at her age such good fortune in an affair of the heart was a thing that one would not expect she threw herself into it with the appetite of an ogress and she had given up literature socialism the consoling doctrines and the generous utopias the course of lectures which she had projected on the desubalternization of woman everything even delmar himself finally she offered to unite herself to de in marriage although she was his mistress he was not at all in love with her besides he had not forgotten her theft then she was too wealthy for him he refused her offer thereupon with tears in her eyes she told him about what she had dreamed. It was to have for both of them a confectioner's shop. She possessed the capital that was required beforehand for the purpose, and next week this would be increased to the extent of four thousand francs. By way of explanation, she referred to the proceedings she had taken against the maréchal. Dusardier was annoyed at this on account of his friend. He recalled to mind the cigar-holder that had been presented to him at the guardhouse the evenings spent in the quai napoleon the many pleasant chats the books lent to him the thousand acts of kindness which frederick had done in his behalf he begged of the Vatnaz to abandon the proceedings she rallied him on his good nature while exhibiting an antipathy against Rosenette, which he could not understand she longed only for wealth in fact in order to crush her by-and-by with her four-wheeled carriage Dussaudier was terrified by these black abysses of hate, and when he had ascertained what was the exact day fixed for the sale, he hurried out. On the following morning, he made his appearance at Frederick's house, with an embarrassed countenance. I owe you an apology. For what, pray? You must take me for an ingrate. I, whom she is the... He faltered. Oh, I'll see no more of her. I am not going to be her accomplice and as the other was gazing at him in astonishment isn't your mistress's furniture to be sold in three days time who told you that herself the vatnas but i am afraid of giving you offence impossible my dear friend ah that is true you are so good and he held out to him in a cautious fashion a hand in which he clasped a little pocket-book made of sheep leather it contained four thousand francs all his savings What? oh no no i knew well i would wound your feelings returned de with a tear in the corner of his eye frederick pressed his hand and the honest fellow went on in a piteous tone take the money give me that much pleasure i am in such a state of despair can it be furthermore that all is over i thought we should be happy when the revolution had come do you remember what a beautiful thing it was how freely we breathed but here we are flung back into a worse condition of things than ever Now they are killing our republic, just as they killed the other one, the Roman, aye, and poor Venice, poor Poland, poor Hungary. What abominable deeds. First of all, they knocked down the trees of liberty. Then they restricted the right to vote, shut up the clubs, re-established the censorship, and surrendered to the priests the power of teaching, so that we might look out for the Inquisition. Why not? The conservatives want to give us a taste of the stick. The newspapers are fined merely for pronouncing an opinion in favour of abolishing the death penalty. Paris is overflowing with bayonets. Sixteen departments are in a state of siege, and then the demand for amnesty is again rejected? He placed both hands on his forehead, then, spreading out his arms as if his mind were in a distracted state. If, however, we only made the effort, if we were only sincere, we might understand each other. But no, the workmen are no better than the capitalists, you see. At Elbeuf recently, they refused to help at a fire. There are wretches who profess to regard Barber's as an aristocrat in order to make the people ridiculous they want to get nominated for the presidency nadeau a mason just imagine and there is no way out of it no remedy everybody is against us for my part i have never done any harm and yet this is like a weight pressing down on my stomach if this state of things continues i'll go mad i have a mind to do away with myself i tell you i want no money for myself You'll pay it back to me. Deuce, take it. I am lending it to you. Frederick, who felt himself constrained by necessity, ended up taking the 4,000 francs from him. And so they had no more disquietude so far as the Vatnaz was concerned. But it was not long ere Rosanette was defeated in her action against Arnoux, and through sheer obstinacy she wished to appeal. Laurier exhausted his energies in trying to make her understand that Arnoux's promise constituted neither a gift nor a regular transfer. She did not even pay the slightest attention to him, her notion being that the law was unjust. It was because she was a woman. Men backed up each other amongst themselves. In the end, however, she followed his advice. He made himself so much at home in the house that, on several occasions, he brought Senecal to dine there. Frederick, who had advanced him money, and even got his own tailor to supply him with clothes, did not like this unceremoniousness. And the advocate gave his old clothes to the Socialist, whose means of existence were now of an exceedingly uncertain character he was however anxious to be of service to Rosanette. one day when she showed him a dozen shares in the Kaoling company that enterprise which led to arnaud being cast in damages to the extent of thirty thousand francs he said to her but this is a shady transaction and you have now a grand chance she had the right to call on him to pay her debts in the first place she could prove that he was jointly bound to pay all the company's liabilities since he had certified personal debts as collective debts. In short, he had embezzled sums which were payable only to the company. All this renders him guilty of fraudulent bankruptcy under articles 586 and 587 of the Commercial Code, and you may be sure my pet will send him packing. Rosanette threw herself on his neck. He entrusted her case next day to his former master, not having time to devote attention to it himself as he had business at nogent in case of any urgency senecal could write to him his negotiations for the purchase of an office were a mere pretext he spent his time at monsieur roch's house where he had begun not only by sounding the praises of their friend but by imitating his manners and language as much as possible and in this way he had gained louise's confidence while he won over that of her father by making an attack on ledru rollin if frederick did not return it was because he mingled in aristocratic society and gradually des lauriers gave them to understand that he was in love with somebody that he had a child and that he was keeping a fallen creature the despair of louise was intense the indignation of madame moreau was not less strong she saw her son whirling towards the bottom of a gulf the depth of which could not be determined was wounded in her religious ideas as to propriety, and, as it were, experienced a sense of personal dishonour. Then, all of a sudden, her physiognomy underwent a change. To the questions which people put to her with regard to Frederick, she replied in a sly fashion, he is well, quite well. She was aware that he was about to be married to Madame d'Ambrose. The date of the event had been fixed, and he was even trying to think of some way of making Rosanette swallow the thing. About the middle of autumn, she won her action with reference to the Kaolin shares. Frederick was informed about it by Senecal, whom he met at his own door, on his way back from the courts. It had been held that M. Arnoux was privy to all the frauds, and the ex-tutor had such an air of making merry over it that Frederick prevented him from coming further, assuring Senecal that he would convey the intelligence to Rosanette. He presented himself before her with a look of irritation on his face. "'Well, now you are satisfied.' "'but without minding what he had said. "'Look here!' "'And she pointed towards her child, "'which was lying in a cradle close to the fire. "'She had found it so sick "'at the house of the wet-nurse that morning "'that she had brought it back with her to Paris. "'All the infant's limbs were exceedingly thin, "'and the lips were covered with white specks, "'which in the interior of the mouth became, "'so to speak, "'clots of blood-stained milk. "'What did the doctor say?' "'Oh, the doctor!' he pretends that the journey has increased his i don't know what it is some name in eight in short that he has the thrush do you know what that is frederick replied without hesitation certainly adding that it was nothing but in the evening he was alarmed by the child's debilitated look and by the progress of these whitish spots resembling mould as if life already abandoning this little frame had left now nothing but matter from which vegetation was sprouting his hands were cold. He was no longer able to drink anything, and the nurse, another woman, whom the porter had gone and taken on chance at an office, kept repeating, "'It seems to me he's very low, very low.' Rosanette was up all night with the child. In the morning, she went to look for Frederick. "'Just come and look at him. He doesn't move any longer. In fact, he was dead. She took him up, shook him, clasped him in, in her arms— calling him most tender names covered him with kisses broke into sobs turned herself from one side to the other in a state of distraction tore her hair uttered a number of shrieks and then let herself sink on the edge of the divan where she lay with her mouth open and a flood of tears rushing from her wildly glaring eyes then a torpor fell upon her and all became still in the apartment the furniture was overturned two or three napkins were lying on the floor It struck six. The nightlight had gone out. Frederick, as he gazed at the scene, could almost believe that he was dreaming. His heart was oppressed with anguish. It seemed to him that this death was only a beginning, and that behind it was a worse calamity, which was just about to come on. Suddenly, Rosanette said in an appealing tone, We'll preserve the body, shall we not? She wished to have the dead child embalmed there were many objections to this the principal one in frederick's opinion was that the thing was impracticable in the case of children so young a portrait would be better she adopted this idea he wrote a line to Pellerin, and delphine hastened to deliver it Pellerin arrived speedily anxious by this display of zeal to efface all recollection of his former conduct the first thing he said was poor little angel oh my god what a misfortune but gradually the artist in him getting the upper hand he declared that nothing could be made out of those yellowish eyes, that livid face, that it was a real case of still life, and would therefore require very great talent to treat it effectively, and so he murmured, Oh, tisn't easy, tisn't easy. No matter, as long as it is lifelike, urged Rosanette. "Pooh, What do I care about a thing being lifelike? down with realism tis the spirit that must be portrayed by the painter let me alone i am going to try to conjure up what it ought to be he reflected with his left hand clasping his brow and with his right hand clutching his elbow then all of a sudden ha i have an idea a pastel with coloured mezzo tints almost spread out flat a lovely model could be obtained with the outer surface alone he sent the chambermaid to look for his box of colours then having a chair under his feet and another by his side He began to throw out great touches with as much complacency as if he had drawn them in accordance with the bust. He praised the little St. John of Correggio, the Infanta Rosa of Velasquez, the milk white flesh tints of Reynolds, the distinction of Lawrence, and especially the child with long hair that sits in Lady Gower's lap. Besides, could you find anything more charming than these little toads? The type of the sublime, Raphael has proved it by his Madonnas, is probably a mother with her child rosanette who felt herself stifling went away and presently Pellerin said well about arnoux you know what has happened no what however it was bound to end that way what has happened might i ask perhaps by this time he is. excuse me the artist got up in order to raise the head of the little corpse higher you were saying frederick resumed and Pellerin, half closing his eyes in order to take his dimensions better i was saying that our friend arnoux is perhaps by this time locked up then in a tone of satisfaction just give a little glance at it is that the thing yes tis quite right but about arnoux Pellerin laid down his pencil as far as i could understand he was sued by one mignot an intimate friend of regimba a long-headed fellow that eh What an idiot! Just imagine, one day... What? It's not Rechenbach that's in question, is it? It is indeed. Well, yesterday evening, Arnoux had to produce 12,000 francs. If not, he was a ruined man. Oh, this perhaps is exaggerated, said Frederick. Not a bit? It looked to me a very serious business, very serious. At that moment, Huzanette reappeared with red spots under her eyes which glowed like dabs of paint. She sat down near the drawing and gazed at it. Pellerin made a sign to the other to hold his tongue on account of her, but Frederick without minding her. "'Nevertheless, I can't believe. I tell you, I met him yesterday,' said the artist, at seven o'clock in the evening in the Rue Jacob. He had even taken the precaution to have his passport with him, and he spoke about embarking from Havre, he and his whole camp. "'What? With his wife?' "'No doubt. He is too much of a family man to live by himself.' Are you sure of this? Certain, Faith! Where do you expect him to find 12,000 francs? Frederick took two or three turns around the room. He panted for breath, bit his lips, and then snatched up his hat. Where are you going now? said Rosanette. He made no reply, and the next moment he had disappeared. End of chapter 17, part 2. Recording by Kate Mackenzie.